Welcome to Sunday Schmooze with Rabbi Mendy Kievman from the Chabad House Jewish Community Center on Cedar Street in Milford. Sit back, relax, and enjoy a stimulating discussion of news and humor from a Jewish perspective. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Rabbi Mendy. A good tevach, a good week, Shavua Tov. So how was your week? And how do you plan to spend this extended holiday weekend? It's nice that it comes right before Rosh Hashanah. We're now less than two weeks before Rosh Hashanah, which gives us the extra opportunity to rectify anything that we need to that wasn't done over the past year. As they say, opportunity is knocking. I should say opportunity is still knocking on your door. But the opportunity is almost over. Now, I'm not telling you that the opportunity is almost over just to make you feel bad. In fact, I don't want to make you feel bad at all. Uh, Not to feel bad and definitely not to feel sad because it's not nice to make someone feel bad. And in fact, it's a Jewish thing to find ways to make someone feel good and feel happy. It's a mitzvah to make people happy. So what's the point of telling you or speaking to you about something that's almost over? The point is, that we need to cherish the short time that we still have. We need to savor every moment and to seize the opportunity, as we say in Yiddish, to chaparayin, the Yiddish word of the day brought to you by Kate's Financial Services, chaparayin, seize the moment, seize the opportunity while we still can. So as the clock ticks down, 13 days left, till the end of the Jewish, year, uh, the Jewish year and the beginning of the Jewish New Year, we're about to say goodbye to a very special year, the year of Hakel, the year of gathering. Friday night we had a huge uh, Hakel birthday celebration for Shabbos, and during that someone said, what if I do Hakel next year? Can I do Hakel next year? And the answer is, you can gather together with fellow Jews next year as well. And any time Jews gather together is always special. But this year is unique. This year was celebrating what would take place during temple times, during the Beis HaMikdash when we had a holy temple. There was one grand event that took place. The Jewish people would gather once every seven years to reconnect to God. And thereby they would reconnect to their performance of mitzvahs. And this year, as the Rebbe suggested to us, was the perfect year to have gatherings which will accomplish the same thing that was accomplished back 
more than 2,000 years ago during the Temple times. And I know by mistake I said, or I referred to the year in the past tense, but it's a mistake because the year is not over. And that's the point. We have another two weeks, well, 13 days, to seize the opportunity, to chaparain, and bring people together for hakel. Have you done a hakel yet? Many of our listeners have done hakels already. But if not, think about the next two weeks. Think about who can you get together with? Who can you bring together? Who can you invite to spend a good time together? There's no real protocol of what has to happen other than bringing Jews together and speaking about something Jewish-related. So who? Who can you bring? Take a moment right now. Take a pen and paper and write down a few names of some people you can invite over. And if my name ends up on that list, wonderful. But if not, that's also good. And then send me an email and ask, tell me what day you're doing it so that I can give you some ideas of what you can do to make your hakel successful. But the most important part and the most successful part of hakel is bringing Jewish people together. Doesn't have to be for dinner, doesn't have to be with a meal. If you want, you can put some nash, you can play some games, but you have, you can do it today. You don't have to push it off. You don't say, okay, let's see, when can we do it? Today, tomorrow, people are at home. Invite people over to your home. Do it. Don't push it off. You pushed it off. In the beginning of the year, you probably said to yourself, oh, I can do this this year. And now we're 11 and a half months since you said that to yourself. Or maybe you didn't even say that to yourself. But don't push it off any longer. Do it today. Invite some people over today. Call up a few friends. Text a few people. Say, hey, come on over. You want to come over? We'll, 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 we'll play some games. Maybe we'll have a little nosh. Come on over. It's the year of Hakel. And as I was thinking about Hakel, uh, bringing people together, I just want to make one more point, which this Hakel will help you as well. And that is, Hakel is not just bringing people together. That's the official Hakel. But you can also gather yourselves together. You can bring your life in sync. Make your life come into sync. You know, Rosh Hashanah is 13 days away. Literally, right around the corner. So now's the perfect time to bring alignment into our lives. When we think about our purpose, when we think about our mission that God has given us, as we talked about Friday night and Shabbos, that at a birthday, we're supposed to think about how God chose to bring us into the world because we have a specific mission to accomplish in the world. That's right. There's nobody that's here by mistake there's nobody that's here. You hear people saying, oh, this, by mis-. there's no such thing as by mistake. Every single human being that's here has a purpose. And every year on our birthday, we are to remind ourselves that we have a mission and a purpose and that the world cannot exist without what we can do for it. And obviously, that's the same thought we have to have individually and as a community when it comes to Rosh Hashanah. We need to think about our purpose. We need to think about our mission. And we're made up of many parts. We have our thoughts, we have our our speech, the words we say, and we have the action, the things we do. 
We need to bring them all together, just like we do for Hakel, when you bring all different kinds of people together. People who feel and think differently. People who even believe differently or act differently. We bring them all together for Hakel. So the incredible year and the incredible blessing that comes from Hakel is almost over, but it's not over. There are two weeks left. And why wait two weeks when you could do it today or tomorrow? Tomorrow's Labor Day. People are home. And this can be transformative. When you bring people together during this year, you have the blessing of Hashem of bringing people together in Hakel. You have a blessing from the Rebbe who suggested that we do these Hakels. And you have the blessing of sinking your own life. And it all happens through Hakels in the year of Hakel. So don't push it off. Don't say, you know what, next year I'll, I'll invite people over to my sukkah. Do it now. You know, a little while back, somebody made a, uh, a garage sale. And he invited anyone who wanted to sell their wares to come and bring it. So that way you'd have a big garage sale with a lot of merchandise. And everyone gains. You know, if you just have your few shmatas. Then, you know, maybe people might walk by and move on. But if a bunch of people are selling, so firstly, there's more merchandise. Secondly, there's more people telling their friends to come together, kind of like a hakel, telling their friends to come together at, you know, at uh, Shmuley's house. We can, we're going to be selling our stuff on Sunday, right? So one of the neighbors who came and brought his stuff, his name was Brent. And he brought, th- you know, four almost new tires that he was selling. These are $150 tires and he told he's selling them for 30 bucks a piece. At some point during the day, Brent needed to leave for a few minutes. He said to Shmuley, he said to him, do me a favor. Can you watch the tires for me? Sure, Shmuley said. But if someone comes to buy the tires and they want to offer less, tell me what's your lowest price you're ready to sell it for you know, these are really good tires, but what's the lowest you're ready to go so I can sell it for you? So Brent said to Shmuley, I'll tell you what. I want you to try to get the most you can get, you know, because these are $150 tires. Try to get at least, you know, you know, $30, but definitely the lowest you can go is $15. $15 a tire, and, and Brent left. About an hour later, Brent came back, and he sees that his tires are gone. He says, oh, you sold them? He says, yes, I sold them. So how much did you get for them? So, well, I got $15 per tire. That, that's the lowest price I said. He says, yes. The guy who bought them was only willing to pay $15. So he says to Shmuley, so who bought them? And Shmuley responded, I did. Bada boom. Ladies and gentlemen, if, well, start with the gentleman. If you don't have a yarmulke yet on your head, please put one on your head right now or put a hat or a shmata or your... Left hand on your head. And everybody, please take your right hand and cover your eyes and let's say Shema together. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch, Shem, Kivod, Malchuso, Le'olam, Va'ed. And if you have a, a drink with you, let's say a bracha together. Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Shehakol Nihiyah Bidvaro
Now, if you have some coins or a bill or bills, now's a good time to give tzedakah. I have my handy pushka right here in Studio 34. What I don't have today, I usually have coins sitting here on my desk. I don't have coins today, but that's okay. I have a bill. And the amount of money you give to tzedakah is not important. It's important that you give that we give every single day. So here's a dollar bill that's going to go into the pushka. And believe it or not, because my pushka is filled with coins, we still get to hear the noise. Like I said, the main thing is to give tzedakah, to give tzedakah for yourself every day, as well as to give tzedakah for anyone that we said a mishaberach for yesterday during um, the Torah reading. There's an interesting group known as 613. They write themselves as 6, S-I-X, and then the number 13. And they take various uh, popular songs and they make them somewhat uh, Jewish. Here's a song for Rosh Hashanah called Shana Tova by 613. Can we go back to Shofa? Today is the day. We'll start the year Rosh Hashanah, so say Shana Tova. When Yom Tov's over, all that shuva, I can feel my heartbeat. But I'm not gonna stop, cause I got Yom Kippur in little more than one week. Praying for hours, and when all that is through, I know exactly what I'm gonna dip my apple into. Honey, cause we want a year that's happy and sweet. On this holiday, no one tried to kill us, but hey, who cares? Let's eat. Conservative, orthodox, or reform, or whatever, no matter what kind of Jew you are. Our voices join worldwide, we say Shana Tova. Indeed, I talked about the uh, birthday celebration we had on Friday night, as well as Shabbos. I want to thank Bracha Gilmeister for uh, making the, the beautiful hakel in honor of her birthday. And a shout out to wish you a happy birthday, not just happy birthday, but a happy birth year. A whole year should be filled with success, nachas, prosperity, and good health for you and for all those who, on whom you have an amazing influence. L'chaim bracha. When it comes to Rosh Hashanah, 13 days from now, the highlight of Rosh Hashanah, well, there's a bunch of highlights, but the main highlight, you know, we dip the apple in honey, we have the various services, honey cake, but the highlight of all highlights is the sounding of the shofar. On Rosh Hashanah, every single Jew should be in shul to hear the sounding of the shofar. Typically, on a normal year, we sound the shofar on both days of Rosh Hashanah. But this year, the first day of Rosh Hashanah is Shabbos. And therefore, while we do everything else connected to Rosh Hashanah, there are two things we don't do on Shabbos. One is, we don't sound the shofar. And the second is, we don't go to the waterside prayer known as Tashlich, where we throw our sins into the depths of the sea. Those two things are done on Sunday this year. So the, the Rosh Hashanah begins on September 15th, Friday, September 15th in the evening. 
And the two days are the 16th and the 17th. So on Shabbos the 16th, we don't blow the shofar. And on Sunday the 17th, we do. And I want to remind you that if you haven't yet reserved a seat at uh, Chabad for the high holidays, you know by now that there's no charge to have a seat at Chabad. All you have to do is reserve it. You must go to our website, jewishma.com, and reserve a seat for the high holidays. Now, leading up to Rosh Hashanah, we also uh, blow the shofar during this month. We do it every day besides Shabbos and the day before Rosh Hashanah. So Friday the 15th, we don't blow the shofar that day. Maybe we'll talk about this next week. But I got And this is like a preparatory sounding of the shofar. And I have a, a new little shofar here that I got. And I'm going to try it out right here, live on the radio. Like I said, this is only a preparatory sounding of the shofar. The real thing, you know, what was Coca-Cola called? The real thing? Something like that. When Coca-Cola, you know, uh, the, the original, the original. Somebody will remind me, Coca-Cola's advertisement when they were, you know, fighting the wars against Pepsi. They had like their uh, logo or their slogan was the original or the real thing. Coke, the real thing, something like that. I'm going to do the first section as we do it in the month of Elul. And remember, this is not counted as hearing the sounding of the shofar. Firstly, because it's not Rosh Hashanah. And secondly, because you're not allowed to do it over a recording like this. You can't ask me live in person. So there you go. That's the uh, precursor, just to get you in the mood of Rosh Hashanah. As I said, this is not the real thing. The real thing is when you hear it on person on Rosh Hashanah. You know, on Shabbos, someone came over to me and asked me about the word for love in Hebrew. The word for love is ahava. In fact, in the first word of the second paragraph of Shema. So, you know, we, we said the Shema, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu. Then we have, V'ahavta es Hashem Elokecha. The first word, V'ahavta, means, and you shall love, which has the word, Ahava. Ahava means to love. But what is the etymological connection between Ahava and love? As I explained, in the word Ahava, you also have the word Hav. Hav means to give. You don't love because what you're going to get out of the relationship. You love because what you're able to give into the relationship. Please listen to my colleague, Rabbi Mendy Kalmanson, to speak a little bit about Ava and Hav. Rabbi Yitzhak of Radichev once said that he learned the meaning of love from a drunk. One day he overheard one drunk saying to another, I love you so much. The other drunk responded, no you don't. Yes, I do, the first protested. I love you with all my heart. The second fellow insisted, if you really love me, why don't you know what hurts me? Perhaps what the second drunk was telling his drinking partner was that if he really loved him, he would know that the reason he drank was because he was hurting inside and was seeking relief from his pain. 
Ultimately, the second drunk was rebuking the first for his self-centered approach to their friendship, asserting that you don't really love me at all. You just love how you feel when we're drinking together. True love, then, is not about how you feel in someone else's presence. It's about how you make them feel in yours. Notably, the Hebrew word for love is ahava, which is rooted in the word hav, which means to give, revealing that, according to Judaism, giving is at the root of love. This etymological insight teaches us both about the function of love and about how love functions. Love is not about the lover, but about the other, the beloved. Love calls us out of the confines of ourselves and into the wilderness of relationship. It's a transformative experience which dethrones the ego and puts it to work in the fulfillment of the needs and desires of another. In this light, love is measured not simply by how much positive emotion you get from being in the company of your beloved, but by how much of yourself you are willing to offer them on the altar of your actions. Speaking about the shofar and the sounding of the shofar as we're going to do this on Rosh Hashanah, do you know why we sound the shofar on Rosh Hashanah? There's actually a whole bunch of reasons why we sound the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. I'm sure you know one, maybe two of them. But along the famous ones is the sounding of the shofar sounds like the cry of a child, reminding us to repent and return and become closer to God. The sounding of the shofar is also the way in ancient times they would coronate a king. And they would coronate a king by blowing shofars and trumpets. Every year on Rosh Hashanah, we again coronate God as our king. So, we sound the shofar. In fact, it says the world is trembling on the night of Rosh Hashanah. As the world is not sure, will we coronate God or re-coronate God again on the morning of Rosh Hashanah by the sounding of the shofar? Or heaven forbid we wouldn't. Obviously we do it every year and that's another reason for the sounding of the shofar. Another reason is because when God gave us the Torah at Mount Sinai, it also was accompanied by the blasts of the shofar. So the shofar will remind us about that special event of receiving the Torah and becoming God's people and reminds us to rededicate ourselves to the study of Torah and the fulfillment of mitzvahs. Another reason for the sounding of the shofar on Rosh Hashanah is it reminds us of the ram of the binding of Yitzchak. As you know the story, God told Abraham to take Isaac, his son Yitzchak, and bring him up as a sacrifice as an Ola, up on the mountain. And he binds his son, and Yitzchak doesn't protest at all. And immediately, as he's ready to do what God told, what he thought God wanted him to do, an angel told him, no, 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 that was just a test. So at that moment, after he unties his son, he sees that there's a ram standing there, waiting to be sacrificed. And he sacrifices that ram in place of his son. So we blow the shofar, which is the ram's horn, to remind us, number one, that we should always be standing ready to sanctify God's name. And number two, that God should have mercy upon us and give us a good year, at least for the sake of Abraham and Isaac, who've done such an amazing thing. 
And one of the last reasons why we blow the shofar, number one is it reminds us of the, that after Mashiach comes, we'll have the resurrection of the dead. As it says in the verse in Isaiah, it says, All those inhabitants of the world and those who dwell in the earth, when a sign is lifted upon the mountains, you shall see, and when the shofar is sounded, you shall hear. So again, the shofar is going to sound before we have the resurrection of the dead. And even before that, we'll have the sounding of the shofar, which reminds us of the future redemption, where the Jewish people come back together to the land of Israel with the coming of Mashiach. As it says in the verse in Isaiah, Bahoya bayomahu, it shall be on that day. Yitaka b'shofar gadol, the great shofar will be sounded. And all those who have been lost among Ashur, those who have been lost around the world, will come back and be brought back to the land of Israel. So indeed, the shofar has a lot of meaning and a lot of purpose on Rosh Hashanah. But for us, knowing that we are so close to the revelation of Mashiach, the shofar has an extra special place to remind us that it is in our hands to add an extra act of goodness and kindness to bring about the revelation of Mashiach. We have a new song, brand new, off the press, by Benny Friedman. The song is known as Two Two Two, which is the sounding of the shofar, but it's on the verse which talks about the shofar's sounding with the coming of Mashiach. Enjoy. Be safe for God. 
If you were here last Shabbos, you would have said, wow, all the Kivmas were home. And it's always beautiful when everybody's home. Not only were all the boys here, and of course our youngest, Chana, is here, but also uh, our Mushki and Shmuli, Mushki and her husband Shmuli, that is, and their babies, Chana and Levi, were also here. Everybody was here last week. It was really, really beautiful uh, Shabbos and a week. But if you came back this week, this past Shabbos, yesterday, you would have seen none of them were left. They're all gone. Everybody went back. I drove the boys back to Yeshiva uh, last uh, Monday. They all started back at the Yeshiva. It's a beautiful uh, time when they are renewed or have renewed energy and start the Yeshiva all over again. It's very, very special because in Yiddishkeit, in Judaism, Education has always been at the forefront. We, we always sacrificed for education. So, yes, it's tough each time all the kids leave. We love having them here, and it's really tough when they leave. But it's ingrained within us that we give self-sacrifice for our children's education because education is such an important thing and such an important tenet when it comes to Jewish belief. And that's how it's been ever since the beginning of time. But I want to tell you about an incident which is told about in the Gemara, in the Talmud, that it seems like was a completely different attitude. The Talmud tells us a story of the very famous Rabbi Gamliel. He was the leader of the Jewish people after the destruction of the temple, and he had a yeshiva in Yavne. Yavne was a place where Torah was flourishing. But his yeshiva was unique because he didn't accept anyone and everyone into his yeshiva. The Talmud says that Rabbi Gamliel would announce and say, any students whose inside is not like his outside should not enter the study hall. In other words, if the student isn't serious and he didn't truly wish to study Torah, we don't want him here. So much so, Rabbi Gamliel had a guard placed at the door and he would decide who he would admit to come into the yeshiva to study and who he wouldn't allow and make him stay outside. Now this story seems very strange. If you don't know what's behind the story, it seems strange. Judaism believes that a person needs to teach Torah to every Jew, regardless of who they are. In the, in the Pirkei Avos that we read 
during the summer months on Shabbos, it says, establish many students. Meaning we have to have as many students as possible. Whether they are pure on the inside, or not so pure on the inside. And this is the entire innovation of God giving the Torah at Mount Sinai, where he said every single Jew had to be there. Not just every Jew who was alive had to be there, but every Jewish soul that was ever going to come and become a living being had to be there at Mount Sinai. Including those who unfortunately, their insides aren't as good as their outsides. That could possibly be said by, about a lot of people. So how is it possible that Rabbi Gamliel the leader of the Jews of his time didn't allow everyone into his yeshiva. He had this unique criteria, a high standard to allow people into his yeshiva. So I know the answer, so I'm not as perplexed by the question. And I'm going to give you the answer so you also won't be as perplexed. But before I give you the answer, I want to tell you a story of something that took place more recent times. And that might help us understand what was going on with Rabbi Gamliel's yeshiva. During the Soviet era, Judaism was not allowed to be practiced. But the previous Rebbe and then the Rebbe said, there's no such thing. Judaism has to flourish. So they set up these secret Yeshivas, secret day schools for children, secret mikvahs for women to go to the mikvah. And, it, and every time the KGB, that's the Russian police, would find out about one, they would come shut it down and arrest the teachers. They would open up another one. The underground network of Hasid, Chabad Hasidim opening yeshivas on rooftops, in basements, in, in sheds behind homes is legendary. It kept on happening throughout the 70 plus years of communism. And here's one story about that. Rabbi Aaron Chazan, who lived in Russia, was once in a city, not the city where he lived, and it was Simcha's Torah, and he heard about the secret Chabad minion that takes place. So Rechazan found out where it was, and he went to this underground minion, as when he walked in, they were just starting to sell the honors of the recitation of the verses which are recited before the dancing of Simchas Torah. So for those of you who are not familiar, Simchas Torah is the celebration of the entire High Holidays. We have Rosh Hashanah, where we crown God as our king. We have Yom Kippur, where God judges us and gives us a good year. And then Sukkot, where we celebrate the embrace, God's um, hug, God's embrace for us. And Simchas Torah, the unbridled joy as we dance with the Torahs and dance with God, celebrating all that has taken place over the high holidays. As I like to say, if you come for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, you gotta come for Simchas Torah. Simchas Torah is the, the height, the, the uh, crescendo of all the high holidays. Some might say even more important than Rosh Hashanah. But definitely 
Every single Jew has to be there. And we're going to have a huge celebration. Two celebrations, in fact. One, on Saturday night, which is known as Saturday Night Live, uh, October 7th. And then again, on Sunday during the morning, we'll have a huge brunch. Um, uh, it's October 8th. And we'll talk more about that, but you got to go to our website to sign up for those. Back to the story. So prior, in, in many shuls, prior to the dancing, they recite verses and they sell them. It's a way to raise money for the shul. We don't do that here at Chabad, but it's done in many shuls. So he walked in, Rabbi Chazam walked into the shul, uh, this underground minion, just as they started selling these verses. And the Gabai, the caretaker, just announced the opening bid for the first verse. And he said, the opening bid is three rubles. Three rubles is a, a fairly small amount. You might say it's like $3 today. It's probably a lot less than that. And one of the congregants called out four rubles. Another one called out five rubles. And, this, and it was sold. Then another verse was sold. Another verse was sold. And finally, Rebekah said he wanted to get into the action as well. And he figured, I can buy one of the verses for a few rubles. So when the next verse was up for bidding, he called out right in the front. You know, he was going to be, you know, wealth. He's going to call out a lot of money. He said, five rubles for this verse. The Gabbai turned to him. He was a newcomer. The Gabbai turned to him and yelled, we don't sell to outsiders. And then turned back to continue selling the verses to the locals. A few days later, Rabbi Chazam bumped into one of the people that were in the shul. And the guy said to him, I noticed how hurt you looked when the shul, they didn't want to sell you one of the verses on Simchas Torah. You should know that we have nothing against you. That night, when we were raising funds through selling the verses, and we were saying three rubles, four rubles, five rubles, we were raising funds for the secret underground Hebrew schools that we run. So when we said three rubles, we really meant 3,000 rubles. And we knew that you didn't have that kind of money, but we had no way of telling you the truth that we're really raising thousands of rubles, not measly a couple of rubles, because we're afraid of KGB informers. In fact, even in these secret minions, there were KGB informers dressed as Hasidim. And if something w- went a little bit different and they would have something to tell on them, they would immediately go to the KGB, the secret Russian police, and tell on them. So the Gabai came up with a good uh, way of not selling to you for just a measly five rubles when they were trying to raise 5,000 rubles. And he screamed at you, we don't sell to outsiders. So really, had nothing to, it wasn't against you. It was just a way of telling you that we couldn't take the five rubles. We needed a lot more to run these underground uh, Hebrew schools. Back to Rabbi Gamliel in Yavna. During that period of time, it was one of the most frightful times for the Jewish people. You can read about the Romans in, in, in Jewish history and you may not realize just how difficult it was. The Roman military police in, in, in Israel crushed every last part of Yiddishkeit, any last part of Jewish life, just as it was done in the Soviet Union a mere 30 years ago. 
In Israel back then, it was forbidden to have a bris to perform circumcision. It was forbidden to keep Shabbos. It was forbidden to keep most of the mitzvahs. And anyone who was caught was sentenced to death. Same like was done by the communists in Russia. So Rabbi Gamliel believed that the Jewish people needed to organize a rebellion and take the fight to the Romans. And hopefully they'll leave the land of Israel and the Jewish people can, Jewish people can get back to studying and practicing Judaism as it was meant to be. So in, in the yeshiva that Rabbi Gamliel established, they studied Torah all right, but that wasn't all they did there. They were actually actively involved in preparing for war against the Romans. There was an underground militia that was based in the yeshiva. And that's the reason why they couldn't accept just any student that came in the door. The yeshiva could only admit those who they could rely on that they won't inform on them. In other words, it had to be one of ours. Because as I mentioned earlier, the walls have ears. It's how Judaism was kept alive during the Soviet Union under the noses of the secret Russian police was that you only trusted the ones you were able to trust. You only trusted those that were fully vested in sacrificing everything for Jewish education. And that's why Rabbi Gamliel's yeshiva had a guard at the door only to allow certain people to enter the yeshiva. It wasn't a question of who was a good student in their studies or who wasn't. Who was really you know, truthful on the inside and who wasn't. It really was a question of who could be trusted to join such a yeshiva. And since they couldn't openly say we're only allowing people in that are ready to, to, to uh, stage a revolt against the Romans. They, cre- they, you know, they created this, um, you know, a, an official designation as wh- someone who is inside just like they are on the outside. I tell you all of this not just to talk to you about the greatness of Jewish education and how our children are doing so amazingly in the various yeshivas. Baruch Hashem, all the boys are centered around the greater New York area this year, so it will be a lot easier to visit them and for them to come visit us. But the reason I'm t- bringing this up is because in the Parsha that we read yesterday, we're told about how God chose the Jewish people to be the chosen people. As the words are, to make you supreme above all, above all the nations. Now this designation as the chosen people, has led to a lot of issues. Our enemies have used it to fight against us as excuses for anti-Semitism. And not only our enemies, but even our fellow Jews, many Jewish people just simply feel uncomfortable with being the chosen people. But if we understand what the chosenness means, A, there's nothing for Jews to feel uncomfortable with, and B, the anti-Semites will lose one of their uh, pieces of arsenal that they use against us. Because being the chosen people means that we have to be a light onto the nations. We have to be a positive example of how to live life 
a positive example to anyone and everyone around us, to Jews, no Jews, non-Jews. In whichever country and society we live in, we have to be the chosen people. We have to be the ones to live positively and with positive energy. Now, of course, besides caring about education, in other words, you know, the, the, the test scores that our children get and what kind of studies they're doing in class, we want to teach our children to be proud of their heritage, be proud of being the chosen people, and be excited about their Yiddishkeit, to be excited about their Judaism. And that's where Chabad comes into the picture. No, we don't have Romans, and we don't have any KGB secret Russian police breathing down our necks. And truth be told, you'll all agree with me, it's never been easier to be and act Jewish than ever before. But let's make sure that our children and our grandchildren's Judaism isn't about how others define us, but that their Judaism should be a positive living Judaism. And that's why we're constantly making new programs. Our newest program, like the Sea Teens, for example, is a program for Jewish teenagers. We obviously had a great Hebrew school, have a great Hebrew school, but complementing our already successful Hebrew school is the Sea Teen program. Now as the kids get older, they have a place to spend their time to continue their love for Judaism. The Sea Teens program, for example, together with the Hebrew school, gives the kids the tools that they need to love Judaism, to love it now while they're still children, and to continue loving it and feeling proud of it even as they get older and they go out into the world and they'll hear negative things about Jews and Judaism. And they'll be able to stand proud and say, I'm a Jew and this is what Judaism is. I love the holidays because I know what they mean. And I love Judaism because there's so much, there's so much joy in Judaism. It's not oi, it's joy. And that attitude they receive at the Chabad Hebrew School and now continue on in the C-Teens program. So I want to invite you, if you have children or grandchildren that can enter our Hebrew School or the C-Team program, to go to our website, gotchabad.com. And register. Register before it fills up. And if you and not just for yourselves. You might say, well, my, my kids are older. I don't have grandkids. I, you know, I don't have children altogether. But you do know people. And for every person that you know, you have an obligation to tell them about the most exciting way to bring up their children by registering them in the Chabad Hebrew School and in the Chabad Sitin program. And you will be doing your part. Now, people talk a lot about Jewish continuity. We want to do about Jewish continuity, 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 continuity. But what are you doing about it? This is the opportunity to do something about it. Don't complain and quetch about what went wrong 20 years ago. Oh, I didn't raise my children, you know, Jewishly enough. Well, it's all uh, could-haves. Right now... You need to do what you can do. And what you can do is register your children and grandchildren to the best Jewish program there is for them and 
Tell all the people, all the Jewish people you know, that they too should get their children into the most important program for their children's future. You know, we talked about Jewish education. We talked about Hakel and doing it now. But most importantly, sometimes you listen to the show, you listen to me, and you think it sounds very daunting. How can I do these things? This is way beyond my capabilities. You know, famously, King David stood in front of Goliath as a young boy. And he could have also said, how can I? What am I going to do? This guy is huge. He's a giant. He's well protected. He's, I'm going to fight him. But he knew that all he has to do, as they say in Yiddish, Put in a finger in cold water, is the saying. That's all you got to do. And then you have the help of our ancestors and all of those around you. King David had that. And him, along with all the other prophets and our ancestors, are there for us. Don't look at Judaism as daunting, because they are standing right next to you. Our parents, our grandparents are standing right next to us. And in fact, that's what Yisker is all about. Yisker on Yom Kippur, and then again on Shmini Atzeres, and then on Pesach and Shavuos, Yisker is not just to memorialize those who've passed on, but more importantly, it's to remind us about how that they are standing there with us. They are cheering us on, standing behind stage, behind the curtains, cheering us on. Telling us we can do it. We can, we can fulfill the mission and bring about the revelation of Mashiach. So firstly, I want to remind you, everyone, if you didn't yet uh, put the names of your dear departed loved ones in the Yerska book, you only have a couple of days left to do it. Go to jewishma.com and click on the link that says Yerska book because it's going to go to print within this week, if I'm not mistaken. And secondly, make sure you're there on Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah when we sound the shofar, and Yom Kippur when we come together to really celebrate the good new year we're going to have, and then Sukkot and Simchas Torah. It's all there at jewishma.com. Don't miss the opportunity to be part of it. Realize that you are there with your ancestors, and when you're going to be saying Yisker, they're going to be standing there cheering you on and saying, I want to see you in Shul on Sukkot. I want to see you dancing with the Torahs because I'm going to be dancing with you. I want to play, just before we, get, we leave today, I want to play this great song uh, by Eighth Day. Also a new song. It's a song using the imagery of King David standing and taking on Goliath. And along with him, all the other people who came before us, the giants who came before us and fought the good fight. And it's about you being able to do it because of who you are and because you have those great giants standing right next to you. The lyrics for this song is in the email I sent earlier. Read along, sing along, enjoy. It's tough to be 15, they won't let you in. Pressure of all eyes on you. They blame you, 
they shame you, might drive you insane, but they're calling you by the wrong name. I know I read your story, I bought your book at the store. You're facing Goliath, but you've been there before. King David, Elijah, Devorah, Nephiah, they're asking you. King David, Elijah, Devorah, Nephiah, they're asking you. Can you remember a time when I was you? No answers or clues But somehow you know what to do I know I read your story I bought your book at the store You're facing Goliath But you've been there before King David, Elijah, Devorah, Nephiah They're asking you With every little step you take Your hand I will hold If you ever feel that stage fright If you think you're gonna fall I'll be standing here Right behind the wall Soon you'll remember Soon you'll say it too You can't be alone We're all rooting for you So face your Goliath You know the drill. There's one website address you need to know for the next month or so, and that is jewishma.com. J-E-W-I-S-H-M-A.com. Because in it, 
you'll be able to register for Rosh Hashanah beginning on the 15th of September, Yom Kippur beginning on the 24th of September, Sukkis beginning on the 29th of September, and Simchas Torah beginning on the 6th of October. We have a lot planned, a lot of great activities, and the only thing and the only way you'll be able to take part in those is by taking the first step and going to jewishma.com, J-E-W-I-S-H-M-A.com. The important ones to know right now is to sign up for Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, to place the names of your dear departed loved ones in uh, the Yisker book, and to order a Lulavan Estrig set, because they will be coming um, right away by Yom Kippur. So you got to reserve it now, jewishma.com. We'd love to celebrate the new year with you. We'd love to be there as you connect and reconnect with your soul and with God. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been a blast. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Please send me any comments you have, the visibly um, positive comments as well as the constructive criticism comments. We love them all so we can make the show even better. And remember... Your next deed will change the world. So make it a good one. Lechayim! You've been listening to Sunday Schmooze with Rabbi Mendy Kievman from the Chabad House Jewish Community Center on Cedar Street in Milford. For more information on the Chabad House, including upcoming events, adult programs, Hebrew school, and more, visit gotchabad.com. That's G-O-T-C-H-A-B-A-D.com. Shalom.